Welcome to Practical Theology, a podcast series by Battle Creek Friends Church. Our hope is that by listening, you feel equipped in your faith to speak out in confidence about what you believe and live it out. We're here to help you seek the Lord throughout your day. So here's your host, Bible teacher, father, husband, and guy who likes cookies, Leo Wilson. Hello and welcome to Practical Theology. In this episode, we talk about women in ministry and leadership. Now, before we begin, I want to make a point that I am not trying to make a point. All right. The goal in this is not to make a point about women in their role in ministry. The goal is to build a framework because I'm not going to have a one point conclusion when this is done. What I am going to do is present a lot of different biblical things that will help us practically see the role of women in ministry and really weed out some things that just are not true about scripture and the role of women in ministry and open up our, our ideas and views to what can be done and what should be done. And no one can just skirt around the responsibilities they have. It'll help us look at church leadership, roles in the family, and kind of how we fulfill our obligations to people in society as disciple makers. So I'm going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. And the reason why is because I got to start somewhere. I was thinking about where to start and how to start this, and I think it's just easier to go into it. Uh, this, this verse, if I read through this section, actually, through verse 15, it'll sound very restrictive, but I'm going to start whittling away of what this actually means because it's significant. Uh, we start to see God having a great value for women, a role for women in ministry. and But we also hear a lot of people saying, well, there isn't a role or they're not supposed to do this. Even Paul will say this here, but we'll, we'll start to address all of these different things. So let's start here. First Timothy chapter two, verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Wow, Leo, did you just really read that? Yes, I did. And yes, I know it sounds very restrictive, but we're going to define it. We're going to define it culturally. And we're going to get into some of these things that really do mean a lot. For example, the very first part of verse 11, a woman should learn. Do you know how countercultural this is? Timothy is in charge at Ephesus, at a church in Ephesus. And the culture there, a Roman culture, um, is around and it would never have a woman as a teacher and rarely have a woman as a leader. Like those just don't happen. It is countercultural for a woman to even have to learn. Like why would she learn? What what is she going to get from it? Well, first off, God says a woman should learn. That's important. A woman should be educated. A woman should be able to compliment her husband. We'll learn more about this later. But the first point is God wants women to learn. He wants them to be informed and educated. Even though women didn't have a lot of credibility in culture, you see this in the witness testimonies of the empty tomb, for example. It's like, well, it takes two or three women to equal the testimony of a man. Or, and look, there's a cultural problem, but God is not in that culture. God transcends that culture. And he says, no, women need to learn. They have a role. So let's look at different examples. Paul, writing to Timothy in this First uh, Timothy, but Paul has a lot of different interactions with women. And we're going to read some of these examples and start to build that framework. So here's the first example, Romans 16, 3 through 5. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in the way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. 
for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Priscilla and Aquila. Now, those two, uh, husband and wife, husband and wife, meaning woman, were directly impactful to, to Paul. Paul is saying that there was a husband and wife, both of them, not just a couple, but he names both of them personally by name. We covered this last week. And they were both significant. They were co-workers in Christ, right? So they had roles in ministry, in Paul's ministry. Philippians 4, 2 through 4. I plead with Eudia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, Paul steps it up. There are two women. There are co-workers in Christ, and they are significant, and they are recorded in the book of life. Their names are recorded in the book of life. So Paul looks at them as valued, and God knows them personally, intimately. That's significant. Let's look at Ephesians 5 and 6. Now, I'm going to read this as fast as I can. This is not to read the other person's mail. This is going to talk about the role of a male and a female. I don't want you to hear the role. What I want you to hear is how the relationship between the people looks, right? Like, so don't, don't hear like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. Don't listen to the other person's mail or read the other person's mail. Instead, listen for this idea of how they relate to one another, how they complement one another. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one who ever hated their own body, but they no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This part here, and what I wanted you to hear was. Each one of their descriptions is a role for the other one. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's a caring role. It's not a, a role of dominance or anything else. It's the idea that you are in this together. You're supposed to support one another, help one another, build up one another. And it's always for benefit. It's not just to like beat the other one down, but like for the benefit of God, to, to present yourselves as holy things, godly things. So you're to work for the common good. So that's a, that's a letter written by Paul talking about the male-female relationship. One last point that I think is important, and it surrounds the first Timothy passage, is that Timothy is a Greek, right? He had to be circumcised, which means his father wasn't. So where did Timothy get his religious background from? It actually says in Scripture, it's from his mother and his grandmother, they taught him about the Jewish customs, God, the relationship with God. And 
those are female perspectives, right? Those are women that spent and discipled Timothy. A woman's role in a family can easily be in lieu of the father, because in Timothy's case, his father probably wasn't emphasizing that as much. That's okay. So the reason why he wasn't circumcised, right? If he's going into gymnasiums, it, he would stick out. It would be embarrassing. It would be different. So his father wants him to acclimate to culture. This is a, this is a this is my opinion. Um, this is what I got from reading several commentaries. And with that, you know, he's he's not circumcised until he wants to go into ministry. And Paul's like, we got to have this happen. And Timothy's like, I'm okay with it, but. That shows the idea of Timothy's background, his spiritual religious background, is strongly founded in what his mom and his grandmother discipled him with. So a significant role of women speaking into the lives of a man and discipling him, right? And if, if anything, you start to see this whittle away the idea of being head over a man. So clearly in this case, they did a good thing. They discipled Timothy. They were leading him. So here's one example of clearly contextually it's not just that a woman can't speak into a man's life or teach him. All right. Next part. When we get into that, we go back to first Timothy and we go to the next section there where he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. Why is Paul saying this? Well, there are different perspectives on this. Um, some opinions are one that there were false teachers and they were women. And so he is prohibiting them from having a greater audience. He's like, no, this can't happen. You know, they, They've been misled. And they, he's, there's been false teachers. They've been teaching women, and as they're supposed to learn, but they are learning the wrong things, and they are starting to influence people, and, and Paul wants to stop this. That's one possibility of why he's saying this. And that possibility would be what some people would say, well, that's specific to Ephesus. All right, we'll address that here in a minute and see if it's specific or if it doesn't matter. Um, another thing that some people mention is, well, it's a cultural problem. See, Ephesus, they, they claim, had a lot of female pagan deities, you know, and female goddesses, and that's problematic. So they're allowing female goddesses and priestesses to speak in. And so was there this culture of female pagan feminism, you know, where women were starting to rule the roost, so to speak? And let's address both of these. First, there is no evidence from historical documentation that the Ephesus culture during the writing of First Timothy had a strong f feminist culture to it. And that was what they were trying to push back on. Like, women don't get to rule everything. There's no evidence of that. So this, the context of the statement isn't in contrast to that. The other thing is, if we apply this logic that it applies only to, like, the church at Ephesus— you know, it's, it's, it's written specifically for Timothy and stuff. We need to be really careful with doing something like that because if we can generalize that, that seems to be a general statement to overarching, not just specifically to a single person, then we can generalize just about everything in Scripture and say that Scripture, well, that just generally meant that that was a general rule for them, but in reality, this is it. And that starts to become a problem um, because then you have to differentiate how to do that. And we still do in some sense. But in this case, to take a statement that's like that and say, well, it was clearly specific to the culture, we need to see if there's reasons for that. And we don't see any reasons for why that would just be pointed at Ephesus. So we are not going to make the generalization of it. So what about this, the idea of authority over man? Or does it agree with the 1 Corinthians 11.3 passage of like being the head of a woman? Let's read that here. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophecies, 
with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. So the majority of commentators look at head to mean that the man is the authority in regards to the woman. Uh, and they, but notice they didn't say over a woman. It, it's just in regards to a woman, like the idea of the head. So what's this relational aspect? And some, another, probably the appropriate way to look at it is this. If anybody in your family does something wrong, does it bring shame to that person alone or does it bring shame to the family? Now, despite what our culture does, Eastern cultures, that definitely is more of a family thing or even a, a social thing. But in the case, I can only tell you my personal experience is if my son does something, I feel like it reflects on me. I've talked about this prior to this podcast, and I still think that's the case. So with that, to be the head of something may mean just like our physical bodies or the head of a family. In other words, if you do something disrespectful or disregard, you know, like that's harmful, then it affects everybody. It's the same thing with Christ and God. If Christ does something, it reflects on God, right? It, that's significant. So I think there's a way of understanding this. It's not like over someone, but that in relation to like the father probably gets the most shame of that because you know what? It's his responsibility to disciple his child and to take care of his family. He's the head of the family in one sense, yes. And he's also the face of it in the other, which is what's going to bring him the most disgrace talked about the idea of partnership. You know, I read the the passage there where it talks about the roles of a male and a female in a marriage and how they they complement each other. They're not in contrast. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. But overall, we want to see that women have a role right now and that even if these passages where it's like head or authority over clearly don't mean it as a clean ultimatum. I've talked about Timothy and his upbringing. I've just gave you the examples in marriage about what a head would look like for a family. And it's not dictator or ruling over, but maybe responsibility or more responsibility for. And all those are significant to the idea of just dismissing women as being inconsequential in ministry. As a matter of fact, what we've built so far is a framework that shows that they have a role. They should learn. They should be part of ministry. They can make a significant difference in ministry as it is to bringing up Timothy and also greatly influence some of the greatest leaders of the Christian faith, including Paul. That's a pretty big resume for uh, the role of women in ministry so far. It's not absent too, that is for sure. So let's talk a little bit more about that First Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 15 passage. So at verse 13 it says, when it talks about that a woman should not have assumed authority over a man, she must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with proprietary. So a couple of things with that. We're going to read the, the parallel account in Genesis here in a minute. But notice something first. When it says Adam was formed first, then Eve, it doesn't mean that, oh, because Adam was formed first, he gets to have reign over Eve. That argument doesn't work. If, if creation order makes sense, then that means animals have power over us because they were created before we were, right? The birds were created before we were in the creation account. So if that's the case, we, we would sit there in that. So creation order doesn't dictate authority. All right, secondly, the idea of like that women got deceived and therefore, you know, they're the problems because men can't get led astray. That is not what scripture says. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, 
there was one Jewish rabbi who was teaching on this and it was about women having their hair down and how if a woman has her hair down and she walks into church or a synagogue or whatever, like, oh, men, they can't handle it. They can't focus and therefore they we can't have that. Well, there's a clear example of somebody acknowledging it's like men can be led astray just as easily as a woman. And, and we see this in our culture today, right? This, let's not be ignorant of that. It's not that one is more susceptible to being gullible. It, both of them have problems where they can be led astray. And so with that, it's also not showing that, well, clearly one's more gullible than the other. Therefore, the one has power over the other one. In the creation account, there's something more to this. And we'll, and we'll talk about that here soon. As I'm about to read this Genesis account, I before I read it, I just want to frame one thing. Try to prepare the way you're going to hear it. We, we just read the Timothy passage, and it sure sounds like if you read that out of context, not framing it like I did, that it, it seems like men are just going to have the head over women. They're going to be in control. Women have no role. But you can start to see through all of Scripture from a systematic understanding that Paul is also trying to probably frame just one thing, and that is that possibly they shouldn't have total control because that's not the way it's set up. Well, a couple arguments with that. One, uh, maybe no one should have total control. You know, maybe there shouldn't be a dictatorship at all. And he's just trying to say, pointing out maybe there's a problem and it shouldn't be in this case. And maybe we'll see that. That was the whole reason I read through the Ephesus account where we're seeing a balanced relationship with a man and a woman and the roles of encouraging one another. The other thing with that account is that when we hear it, let's look at not who's in charge, but maybe the idea of what's the intent. All right, so here we go. It's Genesis 3, 14 through 15. In, in 14 through 19. So the Lord said God to the serpent, because you have done this, this is when Eve is deceived. And after the, we're going to read about this order a little bit. And I want to try to frame this idea of what First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 15 is saying. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. Notice the parallel of this to the first Timothy two, right? I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. But the sweat of your brow, will you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you will return. All right. What I want to point out, compared to the First Timothy passage, is it sure seems like it's a punishment. And if you read it that way, that would be unfortunate. I don't think it's a punishment. I think it's a direction, and I think it's a direction for helping and correction. At this point in time, he's created them, and they haven't talked about this family organization yet. They haven't talked about how this is going to work. In the First Timothy passage, it says, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So when you see this idea of specifically, let's address the, the direct verse here of the woman, and it says that, I'm trying to find it here, and he will rule over you. Well, it's easy to look at that and say, he's going to dictate everything. What if it's God saying, like, 
hey, look, here's what happened. You guys made a mistake. So, yeah, there's a punishment. There's a problem. But it's, one, the punishment that he gives the, the serpent is a lot different. He talks about cursed is the serpent, cursed is this. Like, he's directly cursing the serpent, right? The, the serpent is suffering a consequence. But with Adam and Eve, he talks about their life, right? He doesn't curse Adam. He curses the ground that Adam is working, right? Adam, Adam's going to suffer a consequence for it. But it's, it's not the same. It's not in the same context as when he's doing that to the serpent. And it's the same thing with the woman. So I think he's more addressing the problem. I think he's saying, all right, you guys are in this together. So man, head of the household, you're responsible. Not that you're dictating everything, but you're responsible. You're going to take responsibility for her, for your family, for everything else. And you're going to have to watch out like a shepherd. You're going to have to guide and help. Not that you're going to be a dictator. Christ didn't come to dictate us, right? He came to be our shepherd. He came to care for us, to help us, to help us walk in the right way. I think in this relationship, what God is talking about here is he's like, okay, the fall happened. We've got a problem. We need to start talking about how we're going to address this. And how we're going to address this is you're doing it together. And, yep, you you can't have two leaders, so one of you is going to have to lead. But it's not a dictatorship. It's your responsibility. What is the big deal with wanting to be a leader. Here we've established that women can teach, they can raise children, they can um, lead. Uh, specifically, let's talk about like just one example really quick. How about the judge Deborah, right? She is a judge in ancient Israel and Barak, who is a leader, military leader, is saying in the story, like, I don't want to go out and fight. And he goes, I'll do it if you go with me. So Deborah's like, okay. Notice this woman is a judge appointed by God. Notice that here a male who is supposed to lead is not, so she has to step up to do it, all right? Significant. So we see these different roles of women, both teaching, both leading when they need to, and doing other things. Now, this leading when they need to is interesting. It seems that there is an argument to make that women have to step up when a man won't because somebody's going to have to. And I think we see this in scripture. I think we see it with Timothy's mother when he wasn't getting discipled. I think we see it with Deborah when the leader of the military isn't going out. And isn't that the way that God intended it? We just talked about the women aren't created in contention with man. They're created in a complementary way with man, right? And I, I think this is super significant to the idea of what God is intending. He created a helper when he created Eve, Right? Somebody to support the man. Somebody to help encourage the man. And he created the man to love the woman, just like God loves the church. So relationally, we have this dynamic that we should be fulfilling. And so this is why it's so painful when we see arguments about women in ministry. I don't know what it is about having to have this leadership title. And I'm not even going to address it. I'm just going to go around it in a sense and say, why do we fight for just this one thing? Why is it worth dividing a church over or fighting over for a woman to have sole leadership? Goodness, in so many churches today, we don't even have single dictatorship types of formalities. We have congregational churches. We have churches with boards and everything else. And we have a pastor who doesn't even have all the authority in all cases. So why do we fight this so many times for that one position? Clearly, women have a role in ministry. Maybe if we can fulfill all of these things first and work on these, maybe we can get to this discussion and it'll be a lot easier about women in leadership. But for now, I think the most important part is that we should know that 
women and men both have roles in ministry and they are to encourage each other, to build each other up and not to fight over it. And if there's any way to lean, yeah, you would probably lean. And I always do this with scripture. I always lean to what its literal understanding is if I'm, if I'm tossed up. Here, if it's like there is one sole leader, it's going to be a guy. Unless, of course, a guy won't step up. And then it'll be whoever's willing to step up. And that might be a woman. And for that, I would be grateful, just like people were grateful for Deborah stepping up. So with that, out in life, my prayer is this. Men or women, whatever role we are in in church, in families, especially in families. Actually, I'm going to put an asterisk right there because there is one comment I want to make before I'm done. The very end of Second or First Timothy 2.11, Paul says, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness. In the Genesis account, it talked about the serpent's head being struck by the female's offspring, meaning Jesus specifically. But there's also another point here. We get tangled up in who's leading and who wants to be significant and everything else. And we forget the idea of worldly significance over family significance. I think one of the concerns Paul had here was the sanctity of the family. I think what his concern is, if you're getting fought over who's in charge and who's going to do this, that you're forgetting that somebody needs to take care of the family, and that is super significant. You know, he would hate for you to be arguing about who's going to do the work, who's going to be the breadwinner, and not take care of the family. Well, I'm not going to be ruled over you. I'm going to get a job so I can have importance and dominance. Okay, maybe. That's fine. But don't forget your family. You can be successful in the world, but that is not nearly anything as significant as being significant to your family. So until next time, go and live it out.